Hello and welcome to the Writing Your Best Self podcast with me, Georgina Elmashady. Journaling is an incredible self-improvement practice that will help you cultivate the introspection and self-awareness you need to become your best self. Each week, we explore tried and tested techniques along with journaling prompts to help you dig deeper into yourself so you can leverage the wisdom within to achieve your biggest goals and create your best life. Let's get writing. Hey everyone, I'm really excited for this week's episode because it is another in our interview series. Uh, This week I am very happy and excited to introduce you to Morgan Beard. Now Morgan is a creative life coach and a pop artist and she has a beautiful story of resilience, a quest for answers and a desire to navigate life to find happiness and joy. Now Morgan's journey started when she was just 13 and she was experiencing depression. And as a result of that, she began to explore creativity as a tool to distress, overcome depression, and design her best life. And in the process, Morgan was able to connect with some deep inner wisdom through various creative means. It started out as photography, then moved into painting, and now she is bringing everything she's discovered and learned into her new pop career. And her new EP is set to be released early next year, but you'll hear much more about that in in the show. Uh, Morgan just brought so much genius to this conversation. We had a very deep conversation about art therapy, different ways you can access your inner truth, different ways that external expression can release you and empower you and even heal you. Morgan's just amazing. And I'm so excited for you to meet her in this week's episode. So With that in mind, let me hand you over to this week's conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed creating it. Hey, Morgan, I'm so excited to welcome you to the show. Hello. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. I'm very excited to explore a topic that is new to this podcast. We've not been in this area before. So I'd love to just start by asking you, how did you cultivate a desire for art therapy. What's the story behind that? Yeah. So essentially I've been in therapy personally for uh, a a while or, you know, had been at that point uh, since high school. And I'd always identified as a creative and an artist and had been uh, practicing all kinds of different media, photography for a long time, and then painting and, you know, just a little bit of anything, collage, pottery, whatever, some of the performing arts as well. So it just kind of felt like as soon as I, it just kind of dawned on me that art therapy was a thing. I was like, oh, this is a perfect merge of how I want to work with people on a deep, intimate level and using a vehicle that really speaks to me and offers, I think, a lot more added potential than than just regular talk therapy. So Essentially, it's psychotherapy for people who might not know what art therapy is. It's psychotherapy. Um, so, you you know, you have the whole psychological training and background, but you also add in working with all different types of media in order to help clients progress, um, you know, through their different uh, treatment goals um, or, you know, supporting them in, in more self-exploration and self-knowledge. Um, and, you know, it, it's... It's typically used with uh, a pop- populations who exhibit symptoms of mental illness. I worked in uh, a psychiatric unit, an inpatient psychi- psychiatric unit with adults. Um, I worked in an elementary school setting with kids. Um, I worked with addicted populations I, all over the map. Um, I, I make that point because a lot of people hear art therapy and go, oh, so you work with kids. And I was always like, no, it's it's actually, it's for anyone. and and anyone can find something amazing, amazingly beneficial in that. And especially adults, because adults tend to need even more than kids, a play space, um, and a a way to interact with their creativity. Mm -hmm. So what is it about the play space and this opportunity to interact with your creativity that provides some sort of healing or um, empowerment place? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's interesting because to me, it's become so intuitively connected, like play and healing. 
Um, but to to break it apart and really examine like why, why is that important? Um, there's a lot of reasons. So first, we live our lives often in contemporary society with so much busyness and we're receiving and interpreting and digesting so much information um, and we're kind of just going, going, going. Uh, and we're also very uh, task oriented. We, we're in this kind of overly masculine, balance, balanced um, environment. Most of us that that operate within modern society, uh, you know, we're on our computers, we're sending emails, we're doing spreadsheets, all these very masculine task oriented things. And being in a creative space, being in a play space, not only opens you up to the more feminine side, you know, the right brain kind of stuff that's a little more organic, um, more playful, more spacious, really. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's about instead of giving people a very task oriented kind of thing, um, they are given a blank canvas and allowed to express rather than like ingest. And we don't get enough of that blank canvas, so to speak, in our lives because they're so full and we almost get addicted to the fullness. And people find it hard when they have a moment or two where there's there's nothing to do. You know, we we desperately reach for our phones uh, to scroll through something or answer a text or answer an email. We're always trying to fill that space with things that are quote unquote productive. But a lot of times that kind of ignores or edges out being in a space, being, being in emptiness, being in an inquisitive, uh, inward focused kind of zone. And we desperately need that. Um, the other the other element of the play space that's that's so important um, is it allows a different part of our brain to be active um, when we're in the doing 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 and a lot of people experience stress and anxiety and and we're we're often operating out of uh, this sort of um, reactive uh, fear based animal part of our brain. And when we're in a play space, we're curious, we're loving, we're kind. And those, the anxiety and the fear can't really coexist as much with the uh, sort of expansive, creative, loving, playful mode of operation. That was such an amazing answer. <laughs> awesome thanks <laughs> wow I just love all those images that you've conveyed and I'd like to dive into you talk about having a blank canvas and how yeah. that spaciousness of that can be so empowering and opening like can you talk through some of the possibilities that emerge when you give yourself that place to play yeah so I remember to start with sort of a story I remember when I was mostly a photographer, like I, I did photography all through high school and um, most the first half of college. Uh, and I didn't really do much painting. And as an artist, I was really more comfortable. I was in a, my own personal safe zone with a camera where I'm behind something, first of all, and looking through this very specific lens. and transforming or capturing or highlighting something that's already in front of me. Um, and that mode of looking at the world or creating art, it really, um, it, you're, you're, you're very mediated because you're behind a camera, you're looking through this focused lens sort of, and you're, you're more selecting things to highlight. You're, you're really also in this, uh, hyper like I want I want there to be an adjective for the word scrutiny like scrutinous I don't know if that's a real word or not but you're in this very scrutinous kind of um, mental lens and when when I started to paint the initially the idea of being confronted with just blank space and having to make something all my own was a little bit scary 
because I was like, oh God, I don't have the environment to interact with. I'm, I'm just creating an image out of nothing. But once I started to paint, I was like blown away by how much fun it was because now I have a much less mediated experience of art making. It's like me and sometimes the brush, but sometimes just my fingers and the color and the texture of the paint and the fluidity um, and all those things give you a really tactile uh, and like I said, unmediated way of accessing your own artistic vision and you're working with purely like what you've internalized from the world around you or your own lens for if you're copying like a still life or something and you can't rely on what came for me to be this crutch of of having a camera between me and my subject or um you know really being able to be so um, selective and uh, I had to generate my own imagery. And so having a blank canvas, it doesn't allow you to, it forces you to confront really like your own unconscious in a way that photography doesn't quite. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that blank canvas, sort of like, you know, a Rorschach test really allows you to kind of just dump whatever's in your mind, uh, in your body onto this purely receptive, um, you know, frame. Uh, it's, 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 it's just almost like that sort of masculine versus feminine dynamic that I was explaining earlier. The, the blank canvas is like the ultimate feminine receptive vessel. Um, and like I said, it's, it's the, uh, just the manifestation of our need to sort of play in a sandbox where there's, there's infinite possibility, which initially was intimidating. And if you're listening now and thinking, oh God, (laughs) you know, I'm not a painter. Sure. But if you think about it, like you're putting color, you're, you're making marks that just capture expressive movements it frees you up to think about it in a whole different way. You don't even have to be representing something. You can paint abstractly. You can Jackson Pollock it, you know, and just throw paint at a, at a canvas. And it becomes just this container for that raw emotion. And so that's a huge, huge, um, just potential generator. <laughs> love it. I love it. And I, I'm not a painter, but I am a writer. And I feel that way about the blank pages that, as you say, the unlimited possibilities of what can emerge if you just give yourself the permission to express yourself. So my question is, what is it about this raw, vulnerable, like self-expression that is so healing and energizing? Yeah, Yeah. Um, it is. It is both of those things, healing and energizing. Um, uh, I, I think that the combination of it being a most creative tasks being a mental activity as well as a physical activity are also something that make it really healing that again that connection between your mind and your body and creating new pathways and new ways to explore and capture that aren't just centered in the brain things that we can actually feel textures we can touch a collage where we're assembling the pieces with our hands or a dance where we are living the moving expression of what we're feeling is the exact opposite of when we go throughout our lives, particularly in our early life. And for the most part, we're ingesting, we're learning, we're absorbing other people's behavior, other people's words, other people's emotions. And if we're not self-examining, if we don't have a place to put those things or a way to express them and externalize them, they're this bubbling, knotty mess and muck inside of us that never gets explored or translated or understood. And we often just feel on a low level sometimes or a high level that internal bubbling chaos 
but we don't really understand why or what are its components um, and how it ends up driving us to, to behave the way that we do. And having a blank canvas or a blank, a blank page or just an open room to move our bodies lets us, if we give ourselves the permission, as you said, lets us start to untangle that knot. Perfect. I love that. And I think you're really like exploring this concept that there's a duality, a creative mm-hmm. duality in the sense of there's the inner peace and then the outer expression piece. And yes. one without the other isn't as complete or as comprehensive as the two when they become intertwined. Absolutely. And I'm, su- I'm such a proponent of talk therapy, but I think this is a huge thing that's missing from a lot of kind of talking disciplines is that they they work within the mode of the problem in many cases. Mm-hmm. They're very heady there, it's all about cultivating, um, you know, self-awareness and reflecting and reviewing. And it's sort of like that, that scrutinizing lens. But if we don't take in the full picture of our body um, and, and our emotions, which get stored in different parts of our body, then we really only have the potential to activate the mind. And so much healing is possible and I think necessary um, going deeper into the body. So what, what is stored in the body then that, that can be stirred up with some of these more creative, maybe the art therapy techniques? What are we accessing through yeah. modality? Yeah, so here's, a, here's an example. There, I could think, pick, pick of, I could pick from a million, a million different things. But okay, let's, let's say that throughout your life, you, or specifically when you were young, you were forced to eat a food that you hated your whole life. And every time it was dinner time, you were like, ugh, you know, and you feel the anticipation of eating that gross food. You feel it in your throat. You maybe feel nausea in your stomach. And as you're eating it, it's like you're just ingesting crap. And then it's sitting inside of you and your whole body um, but particularly the seat of your stomach feels like, oh, I'm digesting something I don't want to be eating. And so maybe as an adult, when it's dinner time, you might not even be aware of this connection, but you might feel that, oh, or that compulsion around eating or an aversion to eating. So that sense on a very physical level, which can also be extrapolated to a very emotional level of I'm ingesting something I don't want. I'm being force fed something stays in your body. Then the nausea is kind of pinged every time you're associating things with dinner or food or obligation or someone's someone's telling you something that you don't want to hear. It's kind of activates those same um, those same feelings in the body. So when when working with someone who's depressed or myself, for example, you know, I have a very strong, and I've noticed this pattern in a lot of other people that report depression, a strong uh, connection between that depression and their stomach and how they how they feel as far as what they've had to absorb and not be able to release. Because a lot of times, Depression can also be viewed through the lens of anger turned inward instead of properly allowed and externalized. And so it's this, again, this, this inward direction. And if that isn't reversed, we're just holding it in our stomach. We're stomaching all this crap that we don't want to be. And with depression, if you don't start to dredge up those emotions and the anger that's underneath them, um, you're just going to keep drawing in and ingesting and ingesting and not externalizing and expressing and discovering that the appropriate use of anger, which is to use it as a signal of needing more space, needing your your boundaries being crossed, something really important, you're going to have a really hard time getting your needs met, advocating for yourself, feeling like you even deserve to feel good, remembering what it feels like to not feel nauseous all the time or, you know, ex- a million different things. Um, and so 
talking about it, going over those emotions, um, painting about it, writing about it, where you can access that 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 feedback loop, but you can do it from a way that you're in control, you're in the driver's seat, you're holding the pen, so to speak. That allows you to kind of rewrite that narrative a little at a time and and peel back those layers of all the stuff you've been pounding on top. That's such a powerful example. And, and I would love to understand in more detail, how do you access that? How do you find the hook yeah. that then starts to release it? Yeah. So um, I work a lot. So I now work as a life coach. I call myself a creative life coach because I still, my, my art therapy background um, and just sort of the tools I've learned still inform my approach somewhat, but I'm working in a, a pretty different capacity and with a different type of client generally. So in my coaching business, sometimes I use, I have people doing writing prompts. Sometimes I have people doing, um, you know, making art about their experience. Um, sometimes, sometimes dream interpretation is a really powerful way of getting to the bottom of what your subconscious is telling you, which is also kind of part of that emotional body. But the most powerful way for me and my clients, I think, has been doing guided meditation and visualization with them where they're really feeling into their body through, you know, a series of kind of customized prompts. I just, I just talk to them and I've learned through engaging them in that open dialogue while they're in a relaxed state um, that they can access and generate really powerful visuals for what's going on in their body. And their subconscious can tell them, again, if you give yourself permission uh, to trust that what's coming up, you know, oh, I'm in my stomach right now and I feel this darkness. Oh, okay. Tell me more about that darkness. What does it feel like? Is it cold? Is it warm? Um, does it feel heavy? Does it feel light? Sometimes, sometimes if someone's having trouble kind of trusting their interpretations, I'll offer more guidance. Sometimes people can, especially the more and more they practice this, can go right to it, know that their their subconscious already has a familiar visual language. I use a lot of um, visual stuff because it's also stickier. Um, right. It it allows them to remember it and revisit it um, and transform it. So you might be in your stomach saying, oh, it feels dark. It feels empty. Okay, what does that remind you of? And sometimes it takes you back to a very young age. You can feel really small. You can feel really powerless. And maybe they find that it reminds them of someone in their life or a word or a, you know, whatever. And then we just kind of pull the thread. You just kind of pull that loose thread and you ask more questions and you get curious, not from a judgmental, like prodding, poking kind of standpoint, but a very kind, gentle, curious scientist. I like to kind of use the the analogy of, of a scientist really just exploring and investigating what else is there. Um, if you were, sometimes I have them imagine that they shrink down to a tiny version of themselves, almost like a magic school bus kind of metaphor and travel down an elevator down their spine to whatever part, wherever there's a sticking point, they might feel a tightness in their throat. Okay. So we stay in the throat or they might feel uh, a heat in their chest. So we might go all the way down to the chest. And the more that they can name and describe from that scientific perspective, what's going on, the more it becomes tangible, the more it becomes tangible, the more it becomes something you can deal with and act upon and affect versus this amorphous, mm-hmm. confusing, emotional mess. Again, it's about teasing that all the layers apart. That's so powerful. So the sense that we can first tap into what we're feeling and then put description around it and texture to it to like bring yes. it to life to understand it. And then yes. association potentially what this might have related to you. So you can bring that piece into awareness and then cultivate some healing from that space. Yes, That's exactly. And yeah, and it works. It's, it really is amazing. Very beautiful. And I'd love to know what happens for people that they shut down, like you, that experience mm. of 
oh, I could, I knew there's something there. Like I knew there's something. If I was just drop that little bit further into myself, I'd know I'd find something, but I can't mm. get past this resistance. How, how can we move through that? Yeah. So the, this is where the non-judgmental, super, super compassionate voice has to come in. And, and this is why, at, at least at first, it's good to, to, to do this going inside with someone else who's mm-hmm. giving you a different voice than what might be in your own head. Uh, you might be like, oh, I'm so stupid. I, 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 or I'm so too scared. I'm such a scaredy cat because I can't get past this resistance or, you know, whatever criticism might come up when you encounter that resistance. And what I would then do is, is have that person take a step back and be with the resistance. So however, whatever they encounter, whether they feel like it's the wall in front of the thing or the thing itself, be with it. See what texture the resistance has. See what's brought up there. Um, Because really being with the resistance is a hugely transformational part of doing this work because we all encounter resistance. You know, the, the highest functioning people have resistance to certain things and, you know, certain things evoke fear at every level in different ways for different people. And the more you can really work on being in the compassionate, non-judgmental space, whatever comes up that you confront, whether it's what you expect or not, or what you want to see or not, that's where you start to shift the how of it. It's the how is more important, really, than the what. Because once you develop a trust that you're going to to meet your resistance, your obstacles, your messy emotions with more and more frequently that compassionate, non-judgmental attention, that's that's the gold, you know? It's it's not about, you know, when you hear Zen and Buddhists talking talking about it, it's not about the destination. There's no it's not about getting there to some enlightened state. It's about how we encounter the things of life. That's so powerful. I, I've just had a little aha moment myself there. That oh, amazing! Well, yeah, that notion that you can sit with the resistance, like sitting with the resistance and feeling that is just as effective as getting beyond the resistance if it's the resistance that you need to move through initially. Right. Because I imagine right. that resistance will show up in in lots of places. So yes, so yes. And I love how this like encourages that self awareness and self reflection and self ownership and how that can deepen our understanding of who we are so 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 yes Yes. I'd love to ask you about the subconscious because it feels Mm -hmm. what you're saying that the subconscious has a big role to play in our ability to understand the depths of who we are so how can we use these tools to well firstly what is the subconscious right and then we tap into it and use it as a, a space for healing and transformation yeah, what is the subconscious? That's a that's an enormous question that's like almost as big as the subconscious itself. <laughs> um so the the image that comes to mind that you know I saw in schooling um that might resonate with people is you imagine an iceberg in the ocean mm-hmm. and what you can see above the water is just sort of the tippy top of the mountain peak and then underneath the surface of the water is 90% of the meat of the, the subconscious or the iceberg. It's not visible. It's not known. Um, but it's there and it's the majority of the weight. And for us dealing with our subconscious, we have no idea really what, what is our brain and our body holding on to from every experience we have, from every memory, every feeling everything that someone said anything you've seen on tv you know it's like this is how advertising works you know you see things enough times and it kind of just sticks in your subconscious and then eventually the hope is you know you get a pang of hunger and your your brain connects down to the subconscious and it's like oh, i've seen 55 burger king ads in the last month maybe i'll maybe i want a, a whopper you know but that none of that's happening consciously <laughs> um for the most part and it can be scary it can be scary how much is down there or just the thought that that there's so little control we have over what's kind of being stored in our tissues. But it peeks out. It shows us all the time what's going on down there in different ways. Um, 
one really powerful way to access something that we might be wondering, like, how do I really feel about X, Y, or Z? If you have an encounter with someone else and you find yourself criticizing the way they are, some trait of theirs, some behavior, and you get a, you get like angry or you get jealous or you you get sad, it's like that you better believe that is your subconscious telling you something you don't like about yourself, telling you something that you're angry about or that you want to pursue that's making you jealous when someone else achieves it or whatever. Um or, you know, like I said before, your dreams. Your dreams are this amazing, boundless, and rich territory from which to view. It's like our subconscious puts on a a, a movie every night. Um, and there's often way too much to tease apart, or we don't remember 99% of it. But if you can even if you can even remember one teeny tiny frame of something from that sticks with you from that dream, I bet there's stuff to parse out there. Um, and you can, again, ask yourself, like, in what ways is this true for me? Uh, in what ways did this character in my dream act that re maybe reflect on me or my behavior, who I want to be, who I don't want to be? Um, it's, it's sort of like journaling prompts where you just you start you ask yourself all these questions and you, you try on different hats and phrases and whatever. And you see what what kind of feels like a yes or a no to you. Like, oh, did I dream about my mom? Because right now I'm really frustrated with something that she did that I didn't even think bothered me. Probably yes. Like your body's probably saying like, yeah, that's that's it. And you can use your subconscious to ask those yes or no questions. That's a really good way to get clarity on something that might seem like, whoa, I don't know what's being communicated at all. Ask yourself a yes or no question about it and see what resonates if it's if you kind of feel like eh, like it, it's not quite pinging like lighting you up pinging you um that's probably a no um and a yes is gonna just feel right it's gonna tap something in your body like in your chest or your stomach that's just gonna wash over you like oh uh-huh and as you as you start to get more familiar with what does a yes feel like for me what does a no feel like for me you can really actively dialogue with your subconscious. You can take yourself down to different parts of your body and ask, how do I feel about this? How do I feel about that? And once you get pretty advanced in that dialogue and you you open your subconscious to, to answering your questions directly on a conscious level, then you unlocked your whole inner compass. Um, and it, it's, it's almost that simple. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yes or no piece. And yes, that, the notion that you always, you always have the answers inside you if you if you're willing to if you're willing to look and go there. And you said something really interesting. So this notion that the outside world is almost a mirror for what's happening inside of us. So how yes. do we know that? How can we trust that you know that <laughs> friend or that conversation that triggered us is actually saying more about who we are than they are? Like how do we yes. navigate that and find peace with that piece? Ooh, how do we navigate it and then how do we find peace? That is that is a great question. Um, I think I think one thing to to say about this work is you're never done. You're never done. You can do all the like analysis in the world and you you take step towards peace and you take steps towards more easily navigating the kind of storm that might arise once you start looking at the world through this lens. But again, there's no end. So if you're judging yourself by the metric of I want to be done, I want to be clear of all of this, I basically want to be outside of a human experience, then mm -hmm. you're not going to be successful at that. So don't hold yourself to that standard. So again, the, that compassionate standpoint where you're, you're not broken or a monster or bad because you're realizing, oh, this person's bringing up jealousy in me. Um, you're just treating yourself like I'm a scuba diver and I'm looking at artifacts um, and I'm trying to understand them better uh, versus I need to eradicate all of the bad parts of myself. It's a really unfriendly uh, perspective to be coming at it from because we all have these things. We all have these responses, these emotional responses, anger, sadness, um, you know, jealousy that I keep coming back to. And yes, they're uncomfortable and they're painful and we want to have less of them, but 
at the end of the day, there's still appropriate signals for what, you know, how, how showing us how do we feel about the things in our world and their signposts. Um, so the way, that, the way to, I think, really navigate it. And also you, you asked before, like, how do we really know that it's true that the outside world is, is a mirror for what's going on inside of yourself? I mean, try it out. See, this is, you know, like the, the best way to convince someone is not for me to say, oh, well, this was my experience. Um, because to me, this is happening all the time. Every day I see all of these different lenses or planes as really speaking to the same essential truths. But I didn't know that until I experienced it myself, until I extracted this certain emotional thorn inside of me. And then that completely changed how I saw my my outside world and what was possible. Right. Um, so I would say, if you are doubting me right now, go try to experience it yourself. Um, and then and then tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. And I really loved how you were talking about emotions as being like just signals or they're just signposts. And it's interesting how like some emotions we are really happy to feel, but then other emotions, which are still just signposts and signals, like you mentioned jealousy yeah. a few times, grief, envy, hatred, all these kind of things. Yes. We struggle with those. And I wonder to what extent is that social conditioning and what extent is those emotions are genuinely bad? What, what do you, what's your thoughts? Yeah. On? I mean, jealousy, well, <laughs> I, jealousy is an interesting one for me because um, I actually am polyamorous, which means that I've chosen to operate outside of uh, like a traditional monogamous relationship structure. And I think a lot of people don't do that because they see jealousy come up and they're like, oh God, this is something I want to avoid forever. But to me, it's like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to explore Maybe I have an insecurity when I notice that that I'm jealous of someone else. And how can I look at that piece of myself and view it with more compassion? Or maybe it's telling me, oh, I'm jealous of this person that's out there um, doing something specific that I want to do. So now I know, oh, God, I want to do that. So I got to take the steps to, to do that. Um, and so sometimes that discomfort or fear, fear can also be a really powerful signal of something that we actually really want, not something that we actually would be best served by avoiding. Um, so these, I think the uncomfortable emotions are uncomfortable on, on purpose. You know, a stop sign is red on purpose. It, it's it's not trying to be casual. <laughs> um, it's red because it's saying, hey, you need to stop because there's other things going on and you could get into an accident if you just roll right through like you don't need to bother with this sign. So let's say you feel anger coming up and you're seeing red, quote unquote. It's like that's telling you that you've been stepped on in some critical way. Your rights have been infringed on. There's been an injustice, something like that. And anger is, is one emotion that's really seen as like, oh, we got to eradicate it. And yes, it can be harmful because it can add up and add up and add up and then people don't release it or examine it and then they shoot up a school. But, you know, when you're having initial impulses of anger, that's really important to pay attention to because some part of you is saying, stop, this needs to be examined. You can't, this person can't treat you that way or, uh, you know, these circumstances aren't serving you. So, that discomfort, I think, because, you know, we evolved to have these emotions, we evolved for them to feel the way that they feel on purpose. The more uncomfortable they are, probably the more that they need to be examined. Um, of course, it feels good to be happy and be content. Um, and that's great. You know, you you want to strive for less uncomfortable emotions, but you you don't want to get trapped in the mentality of treating it like oh, anger's uncomfortable, so I'm going to avoid situations that might trigger it. Um, you just remember that, if you can, you try to remember that they've evolved in this specific way for this specific reason to feel urgent, you know? Like, if you really, really have to go to the bathroom, you're not like, oh, well, I'm not going to do anything about this. 
<laughs> you know, um, you got to go to the bathroom right now. And that intense discomfort is there for an important reason. That's so powerful. And I just hearing you speak, I've got this real sense of the depth of like personal work you've done, your own journey, your own experiences, like this desire you have to put yourself into situations where you like are proactively encouraged to grow and to face things. Like, can you share a little yeah. bit about your story? Like what is what has brought you yeah. on the path of this like deep self-awareness and deep self-discovery? Yeah, I, I like to say that I didn't really have much of a choice because I was like so miserable um, as a young person. I was very lonely and sad. And I mean, I was intensely curious always um, and really wanted to learn and absorb and and connect to the world around me. But so much of it was kind of colored in not liking myself, not liking my circumstances. and you know, I was, I was, um, moving rapidly towards severe depression starting at age 13. So I, I really, it was a non-negotiable for me, personal development or, you know, um, therapeutic investigation. And I didn't, I didn't get the chance to actually be in therapy and get treatment until I was a senior in high school. And, it was something that I craved so much, like that level of connection and emotional investigation. And um, it was actually something that my parents didn't encourage for me, didn't want me to pursue. I think they were acting on their fears of, well, what does that mean about us if my daughter, you know, is depressed or this or that or needs therapy? You know, it's, it, it's there's still a stigma, but it's thankfully much smaller than it used to be. Um, but yeah, so I was I was always on this kind of tough path of of self investigation in my mind out of out of necessity. And then once I started down it and gained more understanding and more healing, it was like, yeah, I'm gonna keep uh, growing these skills and and working towards mastery of them because it's so pivotal. Um, for for me, and I started to really understand, especially when I got my master's in art therapy, like all these things, all these layers that are going on beneath the superficial interactions that we have with ourselves and others, and the, the objects, animals, everything. Everything has all these layers underneath it, um, and and all these ways that, like I said, the outer world can be a mirror for the inner world, um, and starting to see things beneath the superficial it's just like it's almost like you're wearing these x-ray goggles now that allow you to see all of the minutiae of people's interactions and body language and this and that and it's it's tough because in a way it's like part of me wants to be able to take those x-ray glasses off yeah. so I can just like live <laughs> and operate without all that knowledge sometimes you know it's like you go to a family gathering and you, you cannot unsee what you now can see uh-huh. um, <laughs> but but in another way, it's like this amazing superpower. And once I started to cultivate it and see the benefits in my life of of cultivating it, I knew it was the way that I wanted to engage with the world going forward. So did you did you change your opinion of yourself? Oh, yes, radically. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said, when I was about 13 is when I really started to start identifying with depression. Um and I also had a very distorted sense of self. And I would look in the mirror and just think, I am the ugliest piece of garbage that this world has ever seen. And I believed it. I really couldn't, I couldn't look at myself. I had such a like dysmorphic sense of myself. Um, you know, like I would look at my nose and just be, it be in pain from how much I hated it. And now I've walked, uh, you know, pretty much all the way to the other end of the spectrum where I, I'm like, I am so blessed and I love who I am so much on a on a physical level and, you know, an internal, emotional and, and character based level. Um, I still have moments where I don't feel great about who I am. And, you know, I, I've learned to identify what's underlying all of that. Um, so it's not like, again, I'm not I'm not above human experience or enlightened or freed freed from these things, but I know them inside and out. 
and I can get myself through them. Um, and I can appreciate the good stuff so much. Having really a depth of understanding of what I've risen from. Um, and I don't, I don't look in the mirror anymore and think I'm the ugliest living creature on earth. <laughs> um, but, uh, I, I totally understand how that distortion can arise. And so I can help someone else untangle, you know, what, what internally is kind of causing that, that bias. Well, and it's so beautiful when you realize that your own journey becomes someone else's stepping stones and that your experiences can be a healing um, point for, for someone else. It's so powerful when you get to do that. And yeah. I just love this talk about like, self-love. I feel, I think self-love, is something that can heal the world. I think there's so much amazing on the planet, and we're just not taught how to love ourselves, right? We're not, it's not something most people are raised with. So, right. an opportunity to cultivate that in such an intentional way, so you know both sides of the spectrum, like the before and the after. Like you really know what it's like to be in this space. So powerful yeah. people that feel a similar way. Yeah, and and just like you said, like the the self love is so key because when there is that connection, as I've been describing, between your internal world and your external world. It works the other way too. If your internal world is like hatred, that's how you're going to treat the external world. And you're going to be an agent of your self-hatred rather than being an agent of your self-love and providing the space and the healing for other people. I love that. An agent of self-love. That is such a cool concept. <laughs> Morgan, I'd, I'd love to ask you, what are you doing now in terms of your self-expression and using creativity as a, as a tool? Where, where is your creativity going at the moment? Yes, my creativity is headfirst, full speed um, into music, actually, um, which that was my earliest, earliest passion and love was singing. And I knew from when I was like four that I wanted to be a singer. But because of the conditioning I received and the shaming and the this and the that, I really buried that desire beneath wanting to achieve so that other people would like me, you know, and, and try, to, try to pursue the things that made me feel like, oh, I can be okay in these people's eyes if I don't shine, if I don't perform, if I don't be the version of myself I most want to be. And it's taken me, it took me 29 years to fix that, to heal that wound. And I'm finally kind of at the starting line. I'm now 31. Um, and I'm at the starting line of being about to release my first EP onto the world uh, this coming year. So I've been just pouring my heart and my soul and my experience and my understanding of emotions into uh, therapeutic pop music, essentially, trying to trying to get people to internalize all the stuff I'm talking about um, through the vehicle of catchy music. Um, because, you know, when you, you spend hours coaching people and talking to them and trying to get them to internalize what you're saying, someone hears one song and that lyric is like stuck in their head. So I'm like, aha, yes, <laughs> that's what I need to capitalize on. Um, so yeah, I'm doing all of the stuff the stuff that I need to do to basically um, put that music out there in the right way. And I'm working on music videos and, um, you know, the, the artwork and the branding around it and uh, working on my live performance so I can go out there and like share it in an embodied way. Um, and, and it's been such a healing process for me to, to again, move along that spectrum from I love to sing to, uh-oh, my caregiver doesn't want me to sing, so I need to bury it to I could never do this way too scared to do it to, oh, I'm empowering other people every freaking day to do the thing that they most want to do and overcome their fears. Why don't I? <laughs> oh my God, that's yeah. such an amazing story. I love it. And I love how we started talking about your creative journey when you were behind the camera with, as a photographer. Yes. And now like you're, you're in front of the camera as a performer now. It's like this complete yes. shift in how you show up in your creative space. That is just so, like, how amazing is that? It's so beautiful. Yes, yes. And it's going to those vulnerable places and healing those old wounds has absolutely catapulted my confidence into a whole different stratosphere. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you know you have something buried in you that you haven't given yourself the permission to explore uh, or you think, 
and it's too late. That's another really mm-hmm. mental trick that we play on ourselves where we yeah. tell ourselves it's too late. We're not going to be good enough, this, that, the other. Just do it for you. Just do it because you want to do it. And taking those steps, whether anyone sees it or not, whether it ever gets any recognition or not, you are showing up and advocating for yourself. And that is what the real work is. It's not about how it's received by anyone else. It's about advocating for yourself. I love that. That's such a powerful statement. And it's interesting too how you were were saying how music was your thing when you were little. I often find that people know as a child what it was they came here to be like what was their natural mm-hmm. mode of expression yes. and sometimes tapping back into you know what did you love as a child what was just joyful and effortless and easy for you as a child and yeah. see if you can infuse some of that back into your life today yeah so that wakes something up yeah I love that knowing knowing exactly who you came here to be that's such a great way of saying it because yeah children children often do And then, you know, what they learn from adults and the world is like all these reasons you can't. And as adults who want to heal and and want to transform themselves, so much of the work is just unearthing those original desires and getting back in touch with our core selves. Yeah. Like all the unlearning, all the the conditioning, like stripping that away and getting back to that essence you were as as a child who was just fearless, freely expressed. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. So, if our listeners are curious to explore this conversation further in their journal, what would be a brilliant question for them to tap into? Yes. So, as a songwriter now, which was something I tried to do for years and could never quite do, that is a recommendation I have that is just, I think, a little bit of a a something different. You know, I'm trying to think of like what has no one said. Um, (laughs) Trying to write a poem or a song um, about your experience really allows you to have uh, a totally different reflective distance with it. It's it's also very like felt viscerally. There's this quote that I really love um, by uh, E.Y. Hamburg, I think was his name. He was a, a American lyricist. And he says, uh, words allow you to think a thought uh, music and a song engage in what is almost this jigsaw puzzle of assembling little words and phrases into a melody gives you it's it's like a it's like a word collage um and it's something a little bit different that you can do to allow music to kind of aid in your ability to self express um <clears throat> and i think it also teaches you to let yourself start with a seed, the seed of a song or a one lyric or a melody. You could even take a song lyric and write that that's it, that stands out to you and just free write about it. It doesn't, you know, you don't have to use something so formulaic and structural as like, I have to write a song. Um, it just, it also allows you to be felt by yourself and others if you were to share it with someone else when you write a song. Um, just like that quote of like, it lets you feel a thought. It, it's it's something beyond just words. It's tied in inherently to emotions. Mm-hmm. And again, that links us back to the body, linking the mind and the body um, and creating those connections and those pathways help us to even more expand and broaden our sense of what's possible or what we can achieve. So I challenge someone who is um, interested in exploring their creativity through writing um, to do that, to get inspired by a song lyric or to rewrite a song that they love um, or to start something from scratch with a melody that just arrives to them. That's how a lot of my songs come to being. I'll just, just kind of be walking down the street and you know whatever you can make that into a song <laughs> um yeah I love, I love this mix of using words through like lyrics or poetry to conjure up something much deeper because you mentioned right at the beginning about how a lot of the time we're just in our minds but there's this depth of wisdom in the body yeah. and so using this creative process to churn up more it's powerful yes. 
And I yes. need to ask you now about your creative process. You mentioned a little bit there, but tell <laughs> me, how do you get, how do you stay inspired? How do you get creative? How do you craft your music? <sighs> um, so the song that I've most recently been working on is, is actually about like, I'm trying to verbalize and understand on the deepest level I can my darkest, most depressed moments and trying to shine a light on that and understand like what's really happening here. Um, and so for me with a song, sometimes it comes to me as a lyric and then, you know, I'm, I'm writing and then later I kind of can think of well, what music would sound good to put this to. Or sometimes it's the melody first and then I add the lyrics. But a big part of the creative process, which again is why I'm encouraging people who who want to build their self-belief to try to write a song is because you have to, you start with a seed. You start with this tiny little seed, a word, a lyric, two notes. Um, and you have enough faith to water it, let it grow, add some more words, add a melody, rework this, redo that. Uh, God forbid, sing it, you know? It requires a lot of self-faith and self-trust to keep building and to tell yourself the idea is even good enough to keep building on. Um, and so that's kind of the most important thing, really, I've learned as far as my creative process is just keep going, keep adding, add, subtract, add, subtract, and then kind of get to like, what is the essence of this? And so this this song that I'm writing about my depressed experience really has taught me like at the core, I think it's a feeling of unworthiness. And so the song's going to be called Unworthy. And the the chorus is just this pleading unanswered question of why do I feel so unworthy? Why do I feel this, that, this, that, da, 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 da. Um, and I, I've only written half the song, so I'm not really sure if the song's going to answer it or just allow people to be in the feeling and and feel felt. My my real dream for the song is just for someone else to understand themselves a little better or at least feel less alone in those feelings um, and not necessarily solve that question, but just capture a slice of the human experience. That, that's so powerful because, you know, when you're in that depressed place or that place of unworthiness, not understanding it or not know, not knowing why it's happening, but then hearing something that validates that experience and helps you somehow put some words around it or make sense of the experience can often be a step to stepping out of it as well. So this, right. this sounds so powerful. I, I'm very excited to, to hear it when it's launched. Do you yeah. know when the, when the launch is going to be? I think you mentioned next year. So, yeah. So my my EP uh, is called Elemental and it's uh, four songs, fire, water, earth, and air. Um, and it's, it's about how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to nature. And um, that one is going to be 2022. I don't have an exact date yet. I'm kind of like putting the pieces together. I'm almost finished the, the music itself in its entirety, but then I'll also be releasing the, um, the music videos and that's going to take a lot longer, but I'm hoping for, um, like early spring, late winter kind of release so I can get, have time to kind of set up what I'm going to do publicity wise and, you know, plan an album release party. There's just, I mean, uh -huh. there is umpteen million things that... <laughs> <laughs> go into releasing like even one song uh -huh. and then unworthy is like you know the album after that <laughs> so it's wow. like it's so exciting nature's gonna be a massive year for you i'm so excited so if yeah. people want to kind of stay in touch and see what's happening like where's the best place to come check you out and yes okay so what? my website is the best place to actually like contact me reach out to me um get on my newsletter just sort of stay in touch with me in general and that's all connected to my socials and my website is Morgan Beard my full name, dot coach. Okay. And that is the simplest, easiest way to get in touch with me and follow along. Um, and you best believe that if you find me there, I will be promoting the music as well. <laughs> you will not Absolutely. miss it. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I wish to make sure all those links are available in the show notes. Um, Thank you so Morgan, much. It's been such an amazing conversation. Like you've shared so many techniques and just just the, the, the richness and the depth of the way you speak. 
and the mm. imagery that you share like I've really enjoyed talking with you today so I'm very grateful for your time thank you so much thank you so much I I really appreciate the way that you kind of carved it out of me and and brought your own special energy and light to it that you know sh- highlighted some um you know some some things that I don't I don't usually talk about and so it's always fun to have a conversation where you you get to explore new angles of even your own story absolutely that's for sure yeah. so everyone this is a wrap that's from me and um from morgan and for me we'll speak to you soon take care